You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 26 called Project-Based Learning with Richard Smith. In this episode, we'll talk with Richard about some innovative ways to incorporate project-based lessons in your classroom. We put Richard in the first ever Got Tech hot seat where we ask him random ed tech questions and then interrogate him on the answers. We also explore our own project-based ideas and wrap up by discussing the exciting publishing feature on Google Slides. We're back to Got Tech, the podcast, episode number 26. Nick, can you believe it? I can't believe it. Like we've mentioned in the past couple episodes, this is a big benchmark for us because it's our 26th episode, which means if we publish one of these things every two weeks, technically this is our one year mark of Got Tech, the podcast. So it's really exciting to uh, be able to have gone this far. So it's a, it's a big one for us. So big podcast. We have a great guest for us today. Uh, this guy, we've been through battle together and what I mean is is uh, doctor courses. We've we've conquered ten doctor courses, and now we're heading into our dissertation. Or we've been there for you know going on two quarters now. But uh, this guy, I'm telling you what, I don't know how you find the hours in the day. He uh, he has four children. He is a tech coach. He does everything professional development. He does podcasts. He does telethons. He's all over the place. My good buddy from Ohio, Richard Smith. Richard, tell us a little bit about your professional journey so far. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, congrats on the one year. My journey started at Kent as an undergrad and started out social studies, and they said, don't do that unless you want to coach, and I can't. I wound up at elementary school through volunteer work and um, became their first director of technology and brought Chromebooks and new smart panels into the mix. And then just last year, I joined the high school realm teaching theology uh, for the first year and kind of doing some advising on some of their uh, technology needs. And now I'm at Lake Catholic and I'm their, their director of technology and innovation and kind of doing the same thing here. Geis was telling me a little bit about you earlier and you seem like you're just one of those people that's just, I don't, I can't imagine how you find the time to uh, assume all these roles. I'm a classroom teacher and that's mm-hmm. it. And sometimes I feel like I can barely handle that load. What's what's the secret? How do you take care of all these different positions? Um, I have a very understanding wife um, <laughs> <laughs> who, allow, who allows me to uh, explore and to really delve into uh, my passions, which is how I've been able to do the doctoral work and, uh, and helping out so much. But she understands that it really is about the kids that I'm teaching. And, uh, you know, as our kids are getting older and she's seeing that their needs are changing and I really couldn't do it without her support. So yeah, that's basically how I find the time of the day. How I got through a lot of my doctoral work as well as my master's is I would read to my children at night. So a quick way to putting them to bed is to read them the articles that I need to read for class. That's awesome. I'm I'm hoping Uh, that brain strategy kind of, you know, filters into them. That's a great (laughs) one. Guys, you got to remember that. Yeah, I do. I've been reading (laughs) books about mouse and cookies and ducks and and pigs and elephants and stuff like that. I need to start reading them research articles. That'll put put them right out. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Rich, whenever we have guests on, one of the first things I always like to ask is just how do you feel sort of like broad strokes, big picture kind of stuff? How do you feel about tech and how it should ideally be used in the classroom? You can take this any direction 
direction you want, uh, but let's just, we'll, we'll begin with that. You know, um, my philosophy is that edu- uh, technology is not going anywhere. And our students today are learning so much differently than we did as students. Um, and so tech, tech should definitely be used to enhance a lesson, definitely not replace it. Um, but our, we need to start as educators learning where our students are at and therefore teaching where they learn. And so I really think digital platform is where it's going to be at in the future. I always tell people, I, I kind of fear that what's going to happen to the brick and mortar school is a lot like what happened with Amazon. You know, they kind of um, swooped in and took over the, the retail market. And um, you see a lot of those brick and mortar schools starting to go away, or sorry, stores are starting to go away. Not to say the schools will go away completely. You're still going to need that element, but uh, it might look different. It's going to look way different, I think, in the future. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, a lot of our students nowadays are onto gaming platforms, whether it is on the internet or on a console, it doesn't matter. They're into games. So you made a good point there that we need to start kind of shaping the way that we teach to the way that they learn. And I think that's Mm -hmm. one way that we can obviously do that is give them opportunities through these digital platforms that give them maybe not the total game experience, but game elements within the experience. I think that's a good uh, place to start, really. Yeah, I, I agree. We it's it's just nice to hear you say that because that's something that comes up for us on this podcast all the time. Is the first thing you said that I really thought was cool was uh, using technology not to replace lesson but to enhance them. That's really important because a lot of times teachers I think get overwhelmed with tech because now they feel like they have to redo everything they've been doing. Much of it that works really well, and that's just not the case. You should only be incorporating things that add to or make better or enhance, like you said. And then obviously the huge component of just meeting uh, meeting students where they're at, meeting them where they learn best, because that's kind of, if you think about it, what should be the number one job of a teacher. And I don't think, and we've never said, guys, that tech is the only answer to that, but I think it's definitely going to be a big part of that. Yeah, great point. One of the reasons why I really wanted to bring Rich onto the podcast is because through our educational journey together, I've always read about and heard about all the cool PBL, problem-based or (laughs) project-based, depending on uh, what you think the P stands for. It doesn't matter. They all fits into the same realm. But I hear all these like interesting projects coming out of you. And obviously, you have a creative mind. So uh, what do you got going on right now? Oh, man. Um, well, you know, the students keep me on the, the edge of my seats. And I'm I'm supposed to say to uh, hello to my media class, Fatia, Mac, uh, Nicole, Dell, Alex, Deanna, Rakesia, Lauren, Luca, and Noah. They told me I would get in trouble if I didn't at least say their names on uh, the podcast. So, Shout out to all of them. How, how, yeah. And I really couldn't do it without them. They actually kind of are my inspiration for working with this digital media class that we have. They're always willing to try something new. And the well, the Webathon was just the first example of that. We took a tour of our local PBS station last year and we looked at um, ABC, our affiliate is Channel 5 here. And uh, they sat down after the meeting. We had some lunch and talked about PBS doing their telethon and how we can do a modern spin on that. And uh, they said, well, let's try it out for next year. So this really was, it came from them. They wanted to try it out, but it incorporated all the different aspects of uh, video, camera shots, angles, you know, the technology, updating leaderboards. And uh, they kind of took that head on. So we assembled a team and um, it was, we call it We Give Catholic in Northeast Ohio. It was to raise money for our school. Uh, last year, they raised 10000 just kind of through word of mouth and email campaign. So we were hoping to hit that a little harder. And so they got together. We, we planned a storyboard for a seven hour broadcast, which I don't know if any of us really knew what we were getting ourselves into, but we said, let's try it. And we hit a lot of setbacks along the way, but we did our first on air live guests. Um, we had digital leaderboards that were being updated with uh, local um 
updates. By the one o'clock hour, we hit our 10,000 mark from the previous year and raised 16,000 total for the day. And what was awesome was the alum and all the people who supported us um, in the Lake Catholic community through this webathon felt very connected. You know, they were able to come inside and see the school. We interviewed teachers they may have had, programs that we offer our students, and just really kind of connected with our alumni base through all of that. And they, um, some of them actually said, hey, we gave a little more because you guys are doing such a great job. So it was great to see that interaction. That's that's so cool. I It's funny when you get, when you start investigating um, a lot of the ed tech that's out there and trying to think of some of these kinds of new projects, I've kind of felt like, especially in the recent months, I'm sort of just spinning my wheels and seeing a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. So a telethon is a class project. When I when I saw that, uh, looking forward to this interview, that it really caught my attention because it's so unique and it's so different. And I think it's so cool. I didn't know that you guys planned for seven hours. Who's on camera? How do you fill that time? Oh, it was awesome. So we talked to all the teachers and alumni that we could possibly get um, to appear on the show. If you go to the Lake Catholic website, I'm sorry, if you go to the Lake Catholic Facebook page, we had to actually break it up into three segments because Facebook only allows you to do three hours at a time for a live broadcast. Okay. Unfortunately, I used my picture as a thumbnail for each one of those. I haven't figured out a way to change that, but it was great. They they sat down, they planned out the interview questions, they did the research. We brought in a CEO of the credit union, who's an alum of our school. We interviewed principals, teachers, the president of the, uh, the high school. We brought in alumni from Toledo, which is on the other side of Ohio, um, who actually works in broadcasting. She was our first online guest and uh, just had a, a great experience. They did a lot of prep work. And I always find that the best way to reach my students is through food. So we made sure we had breakfast and lunch ready for them. Um, it was just an all around good experience. They were exhausted at the end of the day. We all were. What a ride. I and mean, they just, they, they learned so much. That I, I, I just can't fathom doing this for seven hours just with the same group of kids. I mean, really that's mm -hmm. taking block scheduling and putting it on steroids because <laughs> seven hours is pretty much a school day. Seven, seven yeah. and a half hours. Our administration was great. I We came to them with this idea and I said, can I have these students for the day? And they said, absolutely. They didn't even flinch. And so actually we had some people from our advancement office that helped us out with the leaderboard and, and money totals. And uh, it was great to see all that support. And it was awesome too, was people would pop in throughout the studio or throughout the day to come into the studio to see what was going on. And they saw the madness. We actually, when we were on commercial break, we would have live footage of the room so that people can watch us still and, wow. and make their donation. People just said, we just enjoyed watching the business. I mean, everyone was always moving. They were I mean, moving mics and sets and, um, and whatnot. It was great. That's so cool. And it just made me think of something from our last episode too. We talked a lot about bringing in real world problems and that you can't get any more real than this. I mean, you guys actually put this thing together, which I think is so awesome, making it authentic for the kids, which is really the best way to get them to learn. The uh, With stuff like this, I always love to ask teachers, because uh, I think it's the real test of how well it went and what you thought. Uh, Rich, will you do this again next year? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, when we finished the day, everyone kind of collapsed into a chair and we said, now for next year, and they were already trying to add some interactive gaming they can do with the Facebook audience, with the school audience, and, and trying to tweak some things so it wasn't just interviews or updates, that it was something interactive. So to, to hear that from them was great. Um, and I'd have to say I have so many seniors that were in that class and I'm really hoping they'll come back for the other day, the broadcast, if they're available, um, just to kind of see what it's like. Our student producer, Luca, I've already, already teased him a little bit saying he's got to come back. He has no choice. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, it just popped in my head, but I know you guys have some sports teams out there or something like that. Get some memorabilia together and, and on Facebook, you could do like a little live, uh, you know, I guess it wouldn't be a silent 
silent auction, but it would be a digital auction, mm-hmm. and uh, that would be another way to go. But you guys raised over two thousand dollars an hour doing this. I know this is insane. Um, well, the the total sixteen thousand came from uh, midnight to midnight, but we hit. I think it was the 14,000 mark by three o'clock in the afternoon. So the extra 2,000 came in throughout the night and trickled in, you know, and their first question was, well, what do you think would have happened if we would have stayed live the whole day? My first reaction was I probably would have collapsed in the studio, Um, (laughs) but it would have been worth it. They, uh, they were pretty excited about the the total tally for the day. All right. So Nick mentioned a question about the success of the event and whether you would mm-hmm. do it again next year. You said you had 11, 11 students in this class? Um, currently, we have 10. We had 11 at the point uh, of that because um, the semester's changed. So we lose some, add some as, as they're going through. So um, we had 11 students, but I think we had about seven or eight of them actually in the project for the day. All right. Out of the seven or eight of those students, how many remained active throughout the whole day every single one of them because if they weren't on camera giving an update or doing an interview they were roaming the halls with a camera to get side footage because you know seven hours is a lot of time to fill so someone was on air doing the interview or the update while someone else was getting the next shot set up we looked like secret service we all had walkie talkies in our ears talking to each other the whole time um it was it was quite a production yeah (laughs) All right. So let's let's wrap it up with this. Uh, If there in case there's any teachers out there listening to this and saying, yeah, that's how we're going to do our next fundraiser or I I have a similar similar class or or I do something I think that could work for. What are your your biggest pieces of advice or quick tips on the best way to orchestrate something like this? Maybe a little bit about the process you went through Mm -hmm. to make it happen. Yeah, typically we use uh, we use all of our equipment for the morning show. Uh, We use Wirecast to um, get our feed out to YouTube live or we'll go through Facebook. You know, we um, will do our masses live stream as well. So the first thing we'll sit down and do is actually sit down and create a storyboard. And sometimes it's even by hand. We actually, you know, old fashioned tech with the index cards and markers and because uh, tech doesn't have to mean new tech all the time. And we yeah. actually just put up all of the stuff on index cards on a, on a board. We actually had a timer on index cards. And as the hours would tick by, they'd rip it off saying, you know, we've completed the next hour. So it was a lot of planning, talking about scripts. Who do we want to interview? What questions do we want to ask them? You know, how can they help us connect? our alumni with our student body that which really was the focus of that webathon was to reconnect some people that may not have been uh, with us before so yeah a lot of planning from that perspective and then it was getting the equipment in place uh, and getting the administrative support behind us as i said they were 100 percent. you know whatever you need for the day let us know and so actually it was great because to encourage our students we said how about you give us um homework passes. So if students all donated at least this much money, they might get a dress down. Or if they get this much money, they'll get a dress down and a homework pass that they can turn in and not have to do an assignment for the night. So they are 100% behind us. So they did a lot of that work behind the scenes before we even went to air. That's pretty cool. Uh, One last thing before we uh, wrap up the segment. If someone out there wants to take on a telethon. Can they get a hold of you on social media? And if so, what what are your uh, handles for social media? Absolutely. I'm um, on Twitter at Smith underscore EdTech, or you can get a hold of me by emailing me at Lee Catholic, which is rsmith at leecatholic.org. All right, cool. So reach out to Richard if you have any questions on the telethon. Hang on tight because we're about ready to go on a nice little roller coaster here with our first <laughs> ever Got Tech Hot Seat with Richard oh Smith. It's time for the Got Tech Hot Seat. All right, so we're going to give it a go. Our first Got Tech Hot Seat. And uh, Richard, you get to be our guinea pig. You're our test subject. Here we go. 
these are the rules. Uh, I'm going to give you seven comments or questions or something that you will have to give a small, short, brief answer to without any explanation. At the end of those comments, questions, whatever I throw at you, Nick is going to be able to give you only up to three questions that will allow you to elaborate on answers. So do you both understand what's going on? Yes. Yes. All right, so here we go. First one, we video or flip grid? I uh, use them both, uh, like them both, uh, but we use we video a lot more in my, my classes. Screencast-o-matic or Screencastify? Mm, Screencastify only because it was one of the first ones that I used and uh, I like them both, but Screencastify. Microsoft or G Suite? Ah, my wife would probably love the answer to this one, but I'm going to say G Suite. All right. So what are your three go-to extensions? Mm -hmm. uh, I use Flubrew uh, quite a bit. Uh, Read Write is another one. And Equatio. All right. Number five. Favorite website to get an educational idea or resource? Um, I love to go to Control-Alt-Achieve. Uh, that's by Eric Kurtz. Awesome. What are your top favorite podcasts to listen to? Oh, let's see. Well, of course, Got Tech Ed. I do listen to your podcast quite a bit. Edge of Duct Tape, Jake Miller, and uh, Cult of Pedagogy. Uh, also, all of them are very good. Name three technology integrators that you follow on social media. Uh, Jake Miller is one of them uh, because of the podcast. Uh, Eric Kurtz, who does control alt achieve and alice keeler uh, i consider her a google guru so i like to follow her and see what ideas she's cooking up all right so there they are there's our seven prompts so nick now is the time that you get to ask any follow-up questions that you might have sure so some things definitely caught my attention there uh starting from the top the uh Guys asked you, Rich, about your favorite uh, screencast recorder, editor, whatever it is. You said Screencastify. I do a lot of a fair amount of this in prepping for my classes. Uh, I've always been a Screencastomatic guy. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on what it is you prefer about Screencastify? Um, you know, just I think it's the comfortability level. I've used Screencastify before, Screencastomatic. I think they're both great. I know that Screencastomatic has some other editing features in the background. I do a lot of my stuff post-edit in uh, Camtasia, so Screencastify usually suits my needs there but i could be easily turned okay so you mean you just sort of use it as like the raw recorder and then any editing you'll throw into camtasia to finish up from there right okay i get it that's a fair enough reason the other thing i noticed uh when guys asked you about your sort of go-to extensions uh this isn't really a question i'm sort of just confirming something you said equatio absolutely amazing for any math science teachers out there or even probably elementary for trying to get your students working and doing the equation type stuff where they would normally have to be handwritten but getting it to happen in the computer absolutely amazing mm -hmm. uh, so check that out uh, what i wanted to ask about those you mentioned something called re was it, i'm not sure if is it rewrite or read write it's read r-e-a-d write um it's made by the same people as equatio and what's awesome about that it's kind of a screen scraper program helps students who are trying to pull out key facts in reading working with terminology they can kind of pull out words they might have questions about and trying to find it make it a worksheet can create cue cards it'll actually help read to them as well so if they highlight the text that they're looking for it'll take the, the um, anything a browser window a pdf e-textbook and read it to them so they can read along with it wow that sounds awesome so you actually just highlight some text and the computer just reads off whatever you've selected yeah i get a little technologically lazy in the morning so i actually have it read my email to me so i can do other things <laughs> that's actually awesome i gotta start doing that too okay cool so i'm glad i asked about that one and then the last thing that caught my eye was one of the questions about the different things you follow your social media follows you mentioned eduduct 
Tape, which I feel like I may have heard that before, but it's kind of a cool sounding name. What's the deal with uh, Edgy Duct Tape? Yeah, Jake Miller runs that. He's out of Ohio, and he kind of gives you some alternative ways to, to bring tech into your lessons. And it's not always computer tech. It's sometimes it's um, what we would call the old fashioned tech, but just to kind of use technology to enhance your lessons and not necessarily drive your instruction. Is he the guy that does the uh, the GIFs by any chance? Yeah, he's, yes. he's also the guy that came up with the uh, GIF stickers. He is uh, okay. GIF. GIF controversy. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> it's a GIF as in a gift and a GIF as in the wrong way of saying it, peanut butter, but that's just my vote. Okay. <laughs> I mean, peanut butter is too good to mess with, so we're, in my opinion, I go GIF, and that's right. kind of where I go with that. That's some sound reasoning. Okay, thanks, Rich. You turned me on a couple of those, so that's, uh, I think that's a pretty successful first hot seat. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It, it kind of gives us a, a little bit of all our worlds combined, a little bit of the uh, EdTech topics with some of the best extensions and also some great resources out there. I love kind of getting some new ideas, new podcasts to listen to. So awesome. Thanks a lot, Rich, for joining us today. I know we uh, did two segments with you and Mm -hmm. I wish we could uh, hang out a little bit longer, but we're going to wrap this up. I know uh, some of us have to go back to uh, the daily grind. So appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, take care. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. So that was really exciting having Rich in here. What a great guest with some amazing uh, ideas that, like I said, when we were talking to him, I've just never heard of anybody doing uh, anywhere before, especially with students. Uh, the telethon is such a cool thing. And it, and it did kind of get Geis and I thinking about some of uh, our own uh, project and problem-based learning lessons in our own classrooms and for Geis, things that he's done before and kind of helped other teachers put together. So we thought we'd just kind of share uh, some of our own ideas as well. And actually, the, the one that I've been thinking of, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I've not done it before. I'll be totally honest. But I, for the past two or three years, I keep thinking about it and for some reason I just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet so I was kind of curious if I could just can you you've never heard me say this before so I want to tell it to you cold and get your raw honest opinion of this idea I'm ready for my mind to be blown it's, a little bit well, I don't know that's my thing is I can't tell if it's it's either really awesome or really not so my idea is this at the start of the school year in my chemistry class the first thing the kids study is um, atoms like atomic structure uh, atomic uh, number and atomic mass and proton neutron electron. And that also leads into what we call nuclear chemistry, which is atoms being stable, you know, like half-life, all that kind of stuff. You did some of that in bio Radioactive. Too. Radiation, radioactivity. Yeah, all that. And it's fine. It's interesting. It's kind of easy for the kids because they've learned it a couple times before in other science classes. So I've always wanted something interesting and just to get their attention, really a project-based learning experience for them. So my idea is this. I want to write a scenario, almost like the beginning to a a case study or something, but a scenario where there is some kind of a nuclear disaster. I want to say an atomic bomb goes off, but that's the part I don't like because it's just such a dark thing. I don't really want to bring that into the classroom, but some sort of nuclear disaster. And the project is that they have to design a survival shelter to outlive the nuclear disaster. Um, And my thinking is this, to do that, you'd have to know all kinds of stuff. One, you'd have to understand half-life so you could figure out how long there would be background radiation in the environment so they'd know how 
how long uh, how long they would have to be able to stay in the shelter. So half-life you'd have to know about. You'd have to know about types of radiation. So you could choose what materials to build your shelter out of so it would actually protect you from the different types of radiation that a nuclear explosion would give off. And there's a couple other loose connections too, but I really want to build in something like that. But it's just it's just such a weird topic because it's it's like not nice. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's, an, it's really not that weird. Okay. Well, you think that I, can I'm work? I'm loving though? it. I'm loving it. All yeah, right. it absolutely can work because you are already thinking about the things that they need to know in order to design this shelter. And I think a great way to show some type of a end game here is also for them to make a model yes of that shelter and i think that's a big part of it but why don't you use something that's already happened like the nuclear power plant meltdown you know that's even somewhat local for us right so you could easily use that and that's not going to be so far-fetched right just tell them that they're going back in time to the date that the power plant kind of melted and that whole you know the whole meltdown of the power plant and what that means for those landowners i mean they can even bring into property values i mean you could expand this as far as you want to expand it and they can go where they kind of want to, you know, go with it. But I think you have a very uh, realistic project because this is something that kind of already happened. And as as we keep using up our resources and we have to come up with these technological ways of correcting our shortage of resources, this is something that might be a reality soon. Sure. If we can't get enough energy and we have to hype up our nuclear system for energy, we might have to start making these uh, half-life shelters. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's what I wanted. I, it, I started feeling weird about it because I told my wife uh, about the idea and she was like, you can't do that. That's going to be like super upsetting for the kids to talk about the possibility of nuclear disaster. But I like your idea of making it a little bit less real by applying it to uh, something that's happened before in the past because then it doesn't seem as real like it could happen now but also there's the element of it could happen now but like I don't know if I want to bring that into the room that's all I, I think I would just have it as what has already happened in the past right that way they have a way to do some research to kind of look and see how they dealt with it but now realize that we are years beyond that and there's probably better ways to correct it with the new technologies that we have right well i think all that has to kind of go into play but at the end of the day you still a model is a model they're gonna put in a little bit of what they know but how are you gonna know that how are the other students gonna know that so i think the only thing you really need because it sounds like you have the narrative and I, i already told you how important i think narrative is in all projects yep but you have the narrative you kind of have some resources in mind i mean three mile island you could give them all those resources yeah you know with the power plant and you know everything that went wrong with uh three mile island and you could give them a couple of those historical websites and stuff like that just as a starting point but they can obviously branch somewhere else so you're giving them the narrative and you're also giving them a couple of resources it would be cool if you could find some type of like an animation where there's no words or anything like that and it kind of goes over the effects of the meltdown and then show them that as a hook right into the project and then uh there's a movie that had like a bomb shelter in it yes i, it's, I know you're talking about because that's how i came up with this idea i was watching i don't know if it's the one you're thinking of but i was watching a bomb shelter movie and it i lo- I, I loved it and i was like man this would be so crazy to turn make a design project about this i'm trying to think who was in this bomb shelter movie and what it was called was it ashton kutcher i don't know 
Uh, I can't remember. The one I was watching had John Goodman. It was one of the Cloverfield movies recently, which probably is not what you're thinking of. No, I, I don't think it's what I'm thinking of. They thought yeah. there was a bomb, but there were... Uh, oh, yeah, but, that's... um. But they're... Brendan Fraser was Brendan in Brendan Fraser. That's what was exactly that called, though? I love that movie. I don't know, but... Uh, all one. I know is they went in a bomb shelter, lived down there for right. 30 years, and then came up and realized that there was no atomic explosion yeah. or anything like that. So anyway, the only thing that you really need to come up with is how they're going to show mastery of concepts that you want and your rubric and what that's going to look like. Right. So you you already touched on a couple things. They need to know the atomic structure. They need to know half-lives. They need to know this. So how are they going to explain that they have that information. I think that's the only part of this project that you're kind of right not going over. Yeah, there's some definitely some details I need to work out, but I I don't know. I feel good about it now cuz your reaction was pretty positive. I thought you were going to shoot it down right away just for how kind of out there it was. So. I love project-based learning. Yeah. Problem-based learning, project-based learning to me, there's very minute differences of any between the two, but it allows not only yourself to be creative, but other people to be creative, your students to be creative. It gets them asking questions, organize chaos in the classroom. I'm spilling out a lot of words right now, but I could go on for this for days. I know. Well, it's exciting because it's the kind of stuff that gets the kids excited. So I don't know. That's just the one thing I was thinking about recently. Uh, what about you? Did you have something in mind after talking to Rich? Yeah. I, I did. And this is another thing that I'm struggling to pull the trigger on. We kind of are pulling the trigger, but not to the magnitude in which I envisioned. And it has nothing to do with anything other than time. However, I will preface the fact that, you know, Flipgrid had some upgraded features where you could now just hit a download button, download any of the videos that are posted. That is making me think that it might be realistic if I do the shell of the project for this year so students can try that, work out those kinks, and then go back and add video. But I love tying in faculty into projects, and I, I feel like that helps get student buy-in, and it gets them interested. It's another way of personalizing learning. Yeah. So I want you to think our Oregon Trail that we played in the 90s. Loved it. Loved it. I still love it. I would sit down and play and die from dysentery anytime. It's on my phone right now. I'll pull there it up right go. now. There you go. <laughs> think of that with kind of using Flipgrid as every time you go into a, I don't know, a town and you can go around and you can visit. Okay. But instead of doing like small towns and stuff, we do the westward expansion. All right. So uh, maybe the first thing we start at is the 13 colonies and then basically the other beginning part of the uh, mid-states uh, over to the Mississippi River. And then after that, the annexation of Texas. That would be uh, the next step in the Louisiana Purchase and the Oregon Purchase and, you know, all this stuff. The uh, Let's see, we claimed a couple areas from Spain yeah. as well. So all that and then the gold rush. And so at each one, you're almost doing like an amazing race but you're not really racing against each other, but I want you to think the movement there. Yeah. And then you're also having these videos where maybe you contact five, six, seven teachers that are in the building and you give them a little dialogue to read that kind of gives them some information. And then at the end of that information, there's that assignment for that day where they have to retain information kind of like you did in your amazing race where you had them uh, come in and they always had some type of a starter activity that gave them a background of the information that you want. Yep. But then they have to use that information and prove that they know it in some creative way. Hmm. And maybe the, the teacher in the dialogue kind of 
tells them a little bit about how they could portray that knowledge and how they could show a mastery of that knowledge. But have that all over like a, uh, I don't know, Google Sites. That'd be cool. You know, something like that. So instead of traveling around to, I guess you're not traveling to different countries, but you're you're still sort of in that same theme, but you're kind of mimicking the westward expansion in the United States as you kind of take over these different territories. Each of those takeovers, like when we got, I don't even know if this makes sense because I don't know my history, but when, you know, when we annexed Texas, like you said, that's an element to this game or to this project. Do I have that right? Yeah. So okay. think of you traveling on the timeline of westward expansion. So these events happen in order. So it's up to the teacher, really, if they want it to go in, you know, just directional. So as we go out west or if we want to stop at certain areas at an order in which they want to choose. Sure. Maybe magnitude, like what type of impact did that have? Some of these uh, expansion pieces are very minute compared to like the Louisiana Purchase. Right. So there are a couple different ways you could do it and I can kind of see how it all lays out. I just feel like I'm missing, I I need to get in the creative mode where I'm creating these uh, pieces of it and I'm obviously I'm getting help from content-based teachers on this. So I have to throw that out there. Yeah. But you have all these pieces and we put it together in one location where students can kind of get this progress. And the other thing is, is do we incorporate gamification in this a little bit? Do we say, okay, you have this, you're the content information and you have to show mastery using this creative outlet and then you get game points Right. For the quality versus the accuracy versus all this stuff incorporated in it. And the game points only matter in the game. It's not associated with a grade. Right. But later on, obviously, there'll be some type of uh, assessment there where they would get a grade to reflect what they know and what they've completed. Okay. Like I said, I think it's a great idea, but it's kind of like mine. It's kind of like mine too. The hard part is always, you know, you have that first initial spark of, oh man, this would be so cool. They could design a a bomb shelter or they could kind of design their own westward expansion progress as part of a game. But then you got to, you got to work out all the details, right? You got to figure out what are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to know it? How are they going to demonstrate that they know it? Um, Which sometimes I'm not sometimes probably all the time. That's like the hardest part, but I think we got a couple of good ideas here. Yeah, I think we just need to pull the trigger and kind of get our move on and create this stuff. I mean, once we start with something, I'm sure this is uh, relatable to other people out there. Once we start it, it's like just getting that first piece of it done. We That's like us cr- climbing the hill. I mean, I could put this in a reaction form. <laughs> this is the activation energy. Once we get activated, it's a it's a hill. So we're just skiing down the mountain. Well, it's like you point. got, like you said, you got to be in that mindset too. If I sit down on my computer right now and I try to write this project, it's not going to happen. You can just tell my brain's not in the right spot. But if you're in that creative space for some reason it just kind of works out nicer so i i completed you know google certification level one google certification level two and you know at some point you think that you know everything there is about google 
And then you realize that something that you knew you could use in a different way to make it work in a totally different way. Or there's ideas that make you expand on your common knowledge of the G Suite platform. So I just want to go over publishing. I mean, you could publish whatever you want and you could publish slides, you could publish docs, you could publish whatever you want right in the Google platform. So for the, the people that maybe don't know, because this was new to me until just a little bit ago when we were looking over some of this stuff, publishing is an option. Uh, what do you click on? Like file, right? When you're in a Google Doc or Google Slide, go to file and publish. And my understanding is that when you publish it, it sort of automatically turns whatever you've made into a PDF, which is standard. Like I know a, a kind of a Word document will do a similar thing as long as you have a PDF writer downloaded on your computer. However, what's cool about this is it keeps all the links and other uh, images that you have in that document, it keeps them live. So they still work, but now it's a PDF, so nobody can edit them. Is that pretty much how this goes? Yeah, and, and based on that knowledge right there, you could come up with multiple uses of publishing to make a different type of an activity for your students. And, and really, you could e even reach larger audiences than your students by publishing some of your work. So we just want to go over a couple ideas that we had that have to do with publishing. But before we do that, we, we got to look at both sides. It, it does awesome things. But I know Nick wants to talk about one certain thing that he wasn't extremely happy with and that you know i'm sure at some point in time someone's going to make an extension or an add-on or something like that that sure. might help with this but so yeah when when we first kind of came across this publish option i was like for a lot of reasons i was extremely excited one in particular we'll get into in a second but um one of the downsides that i first thought of and i only i only thought of this because this is how i post a lot of my classroom materials anyway on my website for my students as i turn them into pdfs and i do that so that i know they can't be edited even if you know if somebody were to download them, uh, they can't alter it like by mistake. I just know that it's staying in the form that I want it to be in. And it works really awesome. The only problem is I'm constantly from year to year changing things. And so every time I update a worksheet or a presentation or, or anything, because the version that's posted on the website is a PDF instead of a Google Doc, it's the changes that I've made in the Google Doc aren't live to that PDF. So it's kind of a pain because every time I make a change, I have to make a new PDF, delete the old version out of my website and then put the new one in there. It's not super time consuming, but I probably spend 10, 15, 20 minutes a day just going back into my website, checking to make sure the version that's there is the newest version. And if it's not, I got to update it. So if you are publishing things and that's how you're sharing stuff out with your students and it's posted somewhere that you plan on using from year to year, it doesn't work so great for that only because of that update process. However, I think for the benefits, this is pretty minimal just because there's so much cool stuff this allows you to do. I will say this. Uh, I love this whole process and I'm sure that someone out there might know something that we don't know when it comes to having a Google whatever published and automatically updating. I'm really secretly hoping that someone knows of an add-on or extension that might do this. So if anyone out there listening knows anything, please reach out to us, let us know, and we'll make sure that we give you a shout out on the podcast. But let's get into some of the things that we use publishing for. Right. So here's, I'll, I'll kick it off because this is the one that really kind of blew my mind and I'll try and explain it in, in the quickest way possible. It's something I've actually uh, talked about a couple of times before on the show. Guys, you call them choose your own adventure stories. I call them interactive or clickable slides. Really, it's just a Google slide deck that I post on my website, but different objects and images in the slides are linked to different places in the presentation. So they can click on a picture of a proton and it takes them to the page about protons. 
and I put a little, a little image that's like a back button or a home button and it takes them back to the home slide and from that home slide they can click on different things to go different places and it's great as long as the kids actually only click on what they're supposed to but you know they're high school kids a lot of the times they don't and they just hit the forward arrow and just go through things out of order and they don't really take advantage of the clickableness of my slides and it's kind of annoying because it takes a lot of time to set them up and it's for a reason so if it's not used that way it's always a little bit frustrating for me however I can take my Google Slides with these clickable links. And if I publish them as PDFs, I can make it so that they can only uh, view certain sections of the slides at one time. Like maybe I only publish slides one through four as a component so they can only view those slides and they can't just click through the entire slide deck at once. The links within that, within those slides will still go to maybe other published PDFs, but at least it'll keep it more compartmentalized so they can't just go from slide to slide to slide to slide they're kind of forced to use some of the clickable links that I've embedded there. For me, this is, I can't, I want to, I want to leave like right now and start redoing this because I'm just so excited. I have a question. Do you have one of these uh, activities that you've used in the classroom that we might be able to share out in the show notes? Yeah, I got a, I got a, I'm really super proud of this one I made with, I referenced protons. I've got a picture of an atom and the kids can click on any part of it and learn about that part. So, yes. All right, so I guess we'll have to share that in the uh, show notes. But the one thing I like about that and the reason why clickable slides makes more sense for you is choose your own adventure kind of gives you two choices and you might not get to a couple slides because of the th- choice that you made. So sure. there's a definite difference there. Sure. But I love that whole thing of being able to, maybe it's just one slide, you know, one, or not one slide, but one main frame. And you could do this with any content area. Like if, if you're a music teacher and you want them to listen to five different works by Bach and kind of write a reflection on it at the end of it, but they first need to get that content information, you could have clickable links to the five songs that are on the internet. It's awesome. Well, I would make my, I talked about it as my home screen, my home slide, where they're supposed to kind of base everything off of. I would publish that as just one PDF slide, but those links would still take them to other PDFs. They just can't get there without actually using the links that I have set up. I think it's awesome. The other thing, and this is something Geist and I have seen recently at a conference, I just thought it was one of the coolest things ever. It's again using Google Slides, but to sort of make uh, your own animation without any kind of special software uh, where you copy paste a bunch of consecutive slides, almost like a stop motion video would be. And you very slowly change uh, each the positioning of each image from one slide to the next. So if you click through them really fast, it looks like that thing is moving. Um, Well, there's a way to edit the actual URL of the Google Slide deck itself that it automatically runs through your slides at a, a speed like a frames per second of of your choosing. So it kind of makes it look like a little stop motion video that that you made. And with the publish feature, uh, that just means that it obviously can't be edited and and it's uh, super nice, easy and viewable as like its own little self-contained video. So that's a really, really cool project idea for kids. And if you do a quick YouTube search, there's tons of examples of this out there. Some really amazing things that students have made using this feature. Yeah, once again, we we went to this conference and it was right after the uh, Philadelphia Eagles played the Chicago Bears and the, the Bears kicker. Parky? Yeah, Parky. Who used to be an Eagles kicker, but he uh, double doinked the goalpost. That's what the announcer said. So we made a little animation on that, and we'll also include that in the in the in the show notes so you can take a look at it. All right. So one of the things I was recently asked by one of our teachers is 
how they wanted they're big fans of harry potter and they wanted to bring the whole harry potter newspaper theme to their classroom okay but they wanted to do it for a different class okay so they have the harry potter theme where it it's a picture of a newspaper but yet they the pictures move right so I, I wanted to really explore the space a little bit, and I wanted to try to make that a reality. So I used Google Slides, and I went to file page setup, and I made it 11 by 17 to make it a little bit larger. And I changed the background color to an old school, like, tannish yeah, like, yeah, okay. newspaper. And then I started using text boxes and moving it everywhere. And I just got done watching Gladiator because I heard they're... There might be a Gladiator 2 in the works. Oh, no. I love that movie. That's I, awesome. So do I. But uh, so I used a whole bunch of GIFs. I say GIFs. Some people say GIF, but I'm going GIF here. So anyway, I, I used a whole bunch of GIFs as the pictures. And the thing is, is if you use a GIF file and you use that as your pictures in the newspaper, when you go publish it, the GIFs come alive. So it does give that Harry Potter newspaper effect to it. That's a... that is also mind-blowing to me that that's different than any other PDF publishing feature from other things you might know is that the the gifts they keep playing. Such a crazy cool idea either to share info with your kids or have have them, even better, have them create their own Harry Potter newspaper with moving images. So that's another thing we'll include down in the show notes. There's a lot of things in the show notes this week, which is uh, good for you and uh, hopefully you enjoy them. But the last thing that I'll just say real quick is uh, this is the same way people make ebooks by using uh, G Suite products such as, I like to use slides there as well. And uh, what you'll do is you'll change the page setup again. You'll go in there and change it to a larger surface area. That way you can get some nice pictures in there of good size and everything spaced out and not so crowded. But you publish it. And once again, the links are live. So that works. You could put your pictures in there and it's all good. So you could really use it for an ebook and publish that ebook and put it on your site. Uh, I'd just like to thank again Richard Smith for coming in to talk to us on this episode of Got Tech the Podcast, our 26th one-year episode. And until next time, check us out on Twitter at Guys Got Teched or at Nick Got Teched.